we reacted immediately. In fact, we hired an extra 10 digital people in the first month of the pandemic. That's really smart. So you were investing heavily whilst others were pulling out. Our turnover halved and our margin went up. I mean, that is, that is quite unheard of. But yeah, it's bonkers, like right? It. It's nuts. It is crazy. Couldn't it have predicted crazy. that. Trials, tribulations, mistakes, barriers, successes, and failures. Hear it here firsthand from those that have grown billion-dollar businesses to those that are just starting out. Winner of the Campaign Publishing Award for Best Business Podcast in the UK, Successes in the Mind is the only place where you can get a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. Everyone claims to be an entrepreneur, but can everyone live up to the title? What does it take to start a business, to get your product into a high street store, or grow a well-managed team? I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself. Join me as I interview business leaders and founders from across the globe, delving into what makes them tick, their differentiators and intrinsic motivators. This is Success is in the Mind. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. Corey Taylor is founder, CEO and MD of outdoor clothing reseller Bradshaw Taylor, an umbrella company with eight brands underneath it, all focused at the outdoors. Bradshaw Taylor includes clothing from Schofel through to Le Chameau, Keen and Sherpa. They really do house the great and the good of outdoor clothing. After weathering the storm that was the rural crisis of foot and mouth in 2001, Corey Taylor is no stranger to guiding a business through desperately trying times. The secret, he says, is to go into work every day to completely reevaluate your business if the environment dictates it. From losses to acquisition, crisis to stability, I ask Corey how one weathers the storm successfully, how do you acquire businesses, and can you learn entrepreneurialism? Ladies and gentlemen, Corey Taylor. So, Corey, you came back from California after starting your first business. You graduated from Cranfield with an MBA. Your parents had a business that you took over in 1992, but they founded it in 1895 with your great-granddad. Why did you take it over? Because my big brother decided that he didn't want to come into the family business. So, Dad had already made it very clear, as I was the black sheep and the younger brother, that my, my life was not going to be involved in the family business. So... I um I had uh, moved off to California to seek my fame and fortune after my MBA, and then my elder brother uh, decided he didn't want to come into the family business. So Dad rang me while the sun was going down over Balboa Island mm-hmm. in Newport Beach in uh, Southern California, where I had a condo overlooking the the Pacific Ocean, and uh, and we had a chat. And he said, "I'd like you to come into the." into the business because your brother didn't doesn't want to. And I went, well, the reason he doesn't is the reason I don't. So thanks very much, but I'm staying here in California. <laughs> what were you doing in California with your business then? What was the, the plan out there? I'd got into a retail business over in uh, Newport Beach, which is a lovely part of Southern California. And I was also doing some property development. And you came back, obviously, to, to take it over. Your family essentially was selling animal feed. And that was the first thing that you said you didn't want to do when you jumped into the business. And you, you changed it quite quite swiftly. Why didn't you want to sell animal feed? I don't know anything about animal feed, Oliver. <laughs> the only thing about animals is I'm a bit of a, I was a bit of a party animal, I suppose. <laughs> Aren't we all? That, that's, <laughs> Aren't the clo- we all? that's the closest I got to it. 
<laughs> so when you jumped in though and you, you sacked off the animal feed, what was the first thing that you that you changed? Because being gifted or being given a business is, you know, you, you obviously got an element of legacy that you need to adhere to, but actually you can make it, I suppose, your own because you're now in charge of it. So my my dad was um, very cautious and quite rightly so because I was a bit of a wild child. And his board of directors sort of went white at the thought that the company was going to change direction as radically as I had had plans for it. And in fact, in the board, his chairman, long-standing FD, just said, no, this is a really bad idea. Uh, we'll just stay doing the animal feeds thing. And I went, well, I'll get back on a plane to California then. I only came over here to, to help out. And if you don't want me, that's fine. So dad and I had a chat. And um, I said, let's really simple. You either support me and I'm going to change this business into a modern business in the way I see it, or you carry on and I'll go back to California. And just talk to me through your childhood then, because when, when you were little, your dad was obviously running it. He was clearly selling the animal feed. And that was the line of business that you, your great granddad had started, you know, quite entrepreneurial. But when you were small, did you want to get into business? Actually, as a young lad, I used to deliver some of the animal feeds on the back of the trucks. I used to go out with the lorry drivers, meet the farmers, and that was great fun. <laughs> but, you know, animal feeds and manufacturing it is a game where you need scale. A small country manufacturer wasn't, wasn't going to cut it. And I knew that was a dying business and that we, we had to start again. And and you changed it hugely in '92 when you because you met a, cha- a gentleman called Kim Smith Bingham, I believe, and he was a chappie who owned Shuffle Ski, um, and obviously you seemed to hit it off at that point, and that was really the starting point for you changing direction and going into essentially clothing distribution. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. He very kindly bought me lunch, <laughs> and over lunch I agreed to buy the distribution of of him for Shuffle Skiwear, which we agreed. And then that's when I, I started getting serious about the, the new business. Always been a keen skier, so that was quite a fun product to, to distribute because it meant going skiing too. What a great thing to have to do. <laughs> and when you seek the, the opportunity you seek the most of, I suppose, or sought, I should say, was very much when you experienced the problem that was essentially what is now known as the Shuffle Country uh, shooting uh, jacket. When you were shooting at Rockingham Castle, you couldn't move because you had this wax jacket on. You were getting soaking wet and you thought, actually, there's a market here for something that's maybe a little bit more waterproof and actually has more movement in. How did you then develop that out? You, moved to, you went to Germany uh, with Kim. And you, you came up with this well, idea? I'd been skiing in Austria in my new Schoffel Gore-Tex coat at minus 31 degrees centigrade and was toasty warm. And then the week later, I'm at Rockingham Castle, standing in a field at minus three, freezing myself to death. And a light bulb moment. Why don't I use the technology these guys have created in the ski industry and bring it over into the country market where... It was all about wax jackets. No one had ever heard about Gore-Tex before. No, and now it's very much, um, very much the thing that's worn on, on shoots. In terms of the cost that it, it, it sort of, uh, the cost you incurred, I suppose, Corey, to to start this product, to build this product, to manufacture this product, there must have been quite a lot of upfront seed capital needed for that. Well, the um, the the, Sho- the Schoffel brand, founded in 1804 in Bavaria, are master tailors using new technologies in the outdoor market. So I asked them if I came up with a design for a country coat, whether they would uh, make it for me. And they agreed to. So 
actually, we were super lucky. We'd got the power of their business and technology know-how and we're able to transfer that into this this new coat. And that's quite lucky because a lot of people don't necessarily just land on their feet like that. They don't have large, well-known brands going, yep, yeah, not a problem at all. You can come in and uh, and you can help us take it to a to a new market. Was it just the fact that you knew Kim that got you through the door? Could you open that door without Kim? He was helpful for that initial introduction. But after he'd moved on, it was it was all about whether the CEO and owner of Shuffle, a chap called Hubert Shuffle, believed in my concept that we could create a country brand using his technology. And he believed me, rightly or wrongly. And I would say, <laughs> with the benefit of hindsight, rightly. <laughs> yeah, well, indeed, I think it's going rather well. And in 1993, which incidentally was the year that I was born, you you actually uh, managed to get it into James Purdy and Sons. You had it at Farlow's. You had it at Roxton's. You know, you got it into some pretty major shooting hangouts. You know, how did you open the doors in that? Was it, again, circles that you were moving in or was it you just hitting the phones? Well, I went down to, to Purdy's because I was told that uh, the Honourable Mrs. Beaumont, who who was head of clothing there. and yeah, very good. Uh, wife of Richard Beaumont, who was the owner of Purdy's at the time, uh, was the right person to start with. So I went down and uh, and her PA very politely told me that the Honourable Mrs. B doesn't accept hawkers. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, well, when would she accept me? And And she went, never, unless you have an introduction. Anyway, so I went home, scratched my brains and went, rang the PA back and said, does, she, does the Honourable Mrs. B like flowers? And she went, well, actually, yes, she does. And I said, and what flowers might those be? And she went, roses. So I, so I sent her four dozen roses with a message saying, please help me design the best new shooting coat in the world. And I rang back two days later and I had a 15-minute appointment. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I got through the door and, and Mrs. B was amazing. And... She set me up with um, some key people in the in the industry, and and I met Richard Beaumont and and his uh, and his tech team on the shooting side, and they they helped me design this coat. In terms of looking back again, 2013, just before you guys purchased Shimo, you were chairman of the Outdoor Institute Association. Now, you obviously had some some serious clout in that world at that point. Did that help with um, scaling the business at all? Or was that very much just something you wanted to give back? There's a real dilemma, I think, in, in, in business. And uh, with all of the brands that we're involved with, we're, we're, trying, to, we're trying to be a good partner. And so, for example, I, I have a brand called Tentry, which is Canadian. We, we own a, a small proportion of that brand. But for every item of clothing Tentry sells, we will plant 10 trees in a third world country. And over the last four years, we've planted 70 million trees globally. Good Lord. But it's, it's starting to really take hold and makes a difference. So that's the equivalent to the CO2 emissions of the whole of the population of Thailand in a year. So... And our focus is we want to plant a billion trees by 2030. So we make a little bit less profit, but we put something back into the planet because everyone's a polluter. My business is included in that. And if if we're able to offset this by being able to do something useful, then I think it's our responsibility, Oliver, to do that. 100%. We have another brand called Sherpa Adventure Gear based out of Nepal. So for every item of clothing that's purchased, 
we will buy a day of school for a child in the pool. And again, we, we want to be buying 10 million days of school by 2030. And Nepal is the third poorest nation in Southeast Asia. And the only way we're going to help over there is by educating the kids and giving them decent jobs. And we are part of that process in, in Nepal. We're making a big, big difference. We employ 1,500 people over there making our products, which is, which is great. But more importantly, if we're able... So our first child has, has just, uh, just become a trainee doctor who we've been supporting over there, which is super exciting. So we, we can really see, you know, business and doing something useful can go hand in hand. It's not mutually exclusive and we need to do it. It's a good thing to do. The people in our business like to do it. You know, we're still a for-profit company, um, but we're able to do that with a balance. And I think everyone's really into it. I'm really into that too. So, Corey, it seems that you guys are quite philanthropic and give quite a lot back to businesses and individuals. Do you think it's important for people when starting a business to become B Corp certified to ensure they're sustainable and giving back where they can? It's more challenging to be a B Corp, but it's absolutely the right way to go. We're, we're looking at actually moving to being a B Corp ourselves at the moment. Um, Georgina Kirby has got that as a project inside our business. So the answer is yes, should do. Absolutely. And it sounds like you're kind of up for quite a few challenges, but actually you look for the fun side of business. Now, going back to the foot and mouth, obviously, we've just come out of the back end of a pandemic. Two major crises. Again, there was the financial crisis in 2008. You guys kind of weathered the storm pretty well in 2001, but that wasn't through lack of sort of, you know, sleepless nights, I suppose. How did you weather that storm? Well, we've got, we've got a portfolio of brands. So when when the um, foot and mouth shut the UK country countryside, we focused on our outdoor markets in Europe. So we've got quite a balance. So we've got a European business, UK business. In fact, we've just opened our US business. And in fact, we opened a, a, a new subsidiary in Holland last December so we can get around the Brexit issue. So we can move products um, from our manufacturing base in Casablanca directly into Europe, duty-free, and from Casablanca into the UK, duty-free. But we can't ship from the UK to Europe anymore. So we, we've opened our European warehousing and distribution ju- just before Brexit came in. So, you know, we're able to, you know, behave appropriately for each of the markets we want to serve. And so how do you find the manufacturers to produce, I suppose, your product? I appreciate with Shofil, for instance, they already had that manufacturing arm, but you took a massive risk and you purchased all of the units during the pandemic so that you had the ability to shift them, I suppose, around Europe. That, again, was quite a risky strategy. I mean, Oliver, business is risky. If you talk to any business, you will have talked to lots of people. You've got to read the situation at the time. You've got to be willing to back yourself and you've got to have enough money to be able to, to pull it off. So as we've grown, uh, I think our opportunities have got bigger and our horizons have extended out. Always we've tried to be a financially sound business. I'm lucky in that I bought my brother out, so I don't have lots of cousins, aunties, uncles wanting a dividend from the company. We've been able to reinvest everything back in the business, which I think has been the right thing for the company and, and for our staff. In terms of, I mean, everything that you do very much like Jeff Bezos and quite a lot of people actually, it's always for the greater good of the individual and the customer experience. Now, you know, from a customer experience point of view and wanting to make it better for them, how did you do that from your product standpoint? Well, we have um, 
I think really good teams that love the industries that we're in. And we start from that end consumer point of view. What would make the experience more, more fun, more comfortable? And then we work and engineer the product to, to bring out a, a superior product onto the market. That's how we started our business back in 92, 93. And it's exactly the same today. So we're bringing out lots of new technologies into the market uh, this year. And people will really get behind those, I think. And when you say new technologies, then, what does that look like? Because is that is that from a garment point of view, the tech within it? Yeah, in, in the fibre. So, for example, we're just launching a new brand called Artilect, which goes out to the outdoor market. In base layers, uh, Merino is a wonderful product to wear as a natural fibre in a base layer. But there are a couple of Achilles heels of Merino. Other than it keeps you, you warm, it, uh, it holds easily, it gets wet easily and it doesn't dry particularly quickly. So we've just manufactured a new technology with a company called New Yarn in New Zealand, where we're using a, a nylon fiber. We draft the merino over the top of, so it's five times faster drying and three times stronger than existing merino. And so it's, it will overtake um, existing merino because it's, it's more comfortable and it's it's fabulous to wear. So in terms of how you developed that though, how did you discover and find the individual, the manufacturer or the company that was able to provide that level of technology? Because it's not developed exclusively by you guys as is. This was developed by a technology firm that um, one of our co-directors uh, has been keeping an eye on for, for a while and, and he knows the founder. So we had discussions last year to see if, we would be able to, to to adopt this new technology into our into our brand, and and they said yes happily, which is great, and we're now rolling that out in in our launch for this winter, in the US and in Europe. Fine. So in terms of looking at rolling that out, how do you go about bringing that to market? Because that must be quite a complex level of education for for individuals and consumers to get behind. Yeah, we we built a, a new team specifically to be able to do the launch. I suppose over the. 28 years we've been in business you know we've got very experienced teams who know how to do this so this is our next adventure <laughs> it's a very exciting one and looking at your last adventure the acquisition how did you look at brokering that look at entertaining that look at purchasing Chameau, for instance was there an element of you writing them a, a letter of intent or was it very much they approached you no i i rang up their the the owner of le Chameau and i asked him if he was happy with how his brand was and he replied he was terribly unhappy about that. So he said, would you come in tomorrow and have a chat? And I went, I'd love to. So 10 a.m. the next morning is in his office in London. Yes. And we were able to negotiate a deal. And in terms of what that deal looked like, can you allude to, to the value of what you cut with him? So they had a, a team of 300 people working on Le Chameau. They had uh, offices in central London in Old Bond Street where they had 65 staff and they had third-party warehousing, third-party customer service. We're an in-house company. So the deal we agreed with them was that we would close the central London offices. For wellies, you don't actually need to be in Old Bond Street in London. You need to be in the countryside where they're worn. Yes. So, yes. so, we, so we moved the entire business up to Oakham, leaving the manufacturing in Casablanca and the rest is history. So we've turned a business that was 
losing £10 million in 2019, and we're now in the black for 2021. Wow, that's a really good really good turnaround. And in terms of all the other brands that you work with and acquire, I'm assuming they're either failing and you turn them around or they're just kind of an acquisition that's profitable and you want to grow anyway. Yeah. So on the Sherpa Adventure Gear brand, a friend of mine in America owned the brand. He decided that he wanted to stop. So he rang me and said, would you guys like to to take over? And answer, yes, please. So that's what we did. And that was actually, it was last January. So we inherited his North American team and we were doing the European distribution for Sherpa already. So it was a, it's kind of mutually beneficial. He wanted to say goodbye to the brand. Genius. This is kind of how this stuff works, Oliver. Yeah, it's well, it's, it seems very unique. I've never spoken to anybody that's had quite as much luck as you, Corey, in terms of people <laughs> just saying, can you buy my business? Can you have my business? Can you help me grow my business? And similarly, it's all in the same world which i suppose may be the reason that actually they do trust you because you have that track record well oliver i've, I've also kissed a few frogs along the way go on have you got any frogs that you could allude to have kissed <laughs> I, I think i'd rather not actually it's in my skeleton cupboard <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't want to open that door oh it's, no bring, it's firmly brings locked. up all the wrong memories yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you learn right as, as as you as you get more experience in business you know what you know what the things that you do want to do, things you want to avoid, and you realize that it's actually all about the people in your business and your customers. And if you can work well together and dynamically together, you know, there's a good chance you're going to make a success of it. And, and we try hard to do that. There's something quite iconic about the showful gilet, which actually I've seen on TikTok recently. It's called the Chelsea, the Chelsea stab vest. I've heard it alluded to, which I which I kind of like, and I haven't worn mine today. But you know, how did you design and come up with with that? I mean, it's it's such a unique and iconic part of showful. Well, so when we started off all those years ago with Purdy's, the the Honourable Mrs B, after we made our first Gore-Tex shooting coat, liked it so much. She said, "Could you?" Could you design something that goes underneath that keeps everyone in on their estate warm when they're inside in their in their in their large pile? <laughs> and I went, well, yes, Mrs. B, we can definitely do that. So that's where the Oakham Gilet came from, the first idea, which is why they're so popular because lots of people they're very versatile. You can wear them uh, nearly all year round, not in the summer, obviously, but spring, autumn, and winter. Uh, it's an essential piece of clothing for a country-style person. In terms of where you manufacture, do you manufacture in the UK or do you do that overseas? Again, you speak a lot about Casablanca. Why Why so much in Casablanca? Casablanca is where our wellies are made. Right. So we have a dedicated factory, our own factory, just making our wellies. We don't, we don't make them anywhere else in the world. We just make them in our own factory because they're all handmade they've been making them there for the last 70 years actually really so there's a lot of legacy in that as well yeah there's a lot of legacy in everything that you do Corey. and i mean if the money was right would you jump ship or is it genuinely something you just want to build up no i love it and give I, you love it i love it I, I love the countryside i love walking in the countryside uh, i love skiing i love all the stuff that we do actually so i've got the best job oliver why, why would I want to sell it and stop the party? There were very annual. Well, there you go. Going back to animals, your party animal. Uh, well, <laughs> no, I used to be a little bit, but I'm, I'm a lot older sure. and wiser now. 
<laughs> Surely, well, your parties are just slightly different now. I'm sure they are. <laughs> you know, in terms of what you've learned that over the last 28 years, frankly, even maybe slightly longer. You know, what what do you want to know then that you know now? Wow. Maybe like Lady B wanted roses. That would have been helpful. I think every every day is a new day, and I think the more experience you you get, the the more likely you are to pick a good option rather than a bad option. You know, just like the pandemic, none of us could have written the script for this. And we have to adapt and you've got to be nimble. You've got to be, you've got to be pretty quick and you've got to be brave when things are going wrong. I think we've got, we've got enough experience in our company to try and make good calls. I wouldn't say we get them right all the time. We don't, but on the whole we do because, because we've got a lot of experience and we've got a great team. Have you got anything that you've bet on that went badly wrong? And I use the term bet maybe incorrectly there because a direct quote from you is, I'm not a betting man, but I'm a risk taker. So is there anything that you've, uh, you've taken risks on uh, that have gone badly wrong? We've been extremely lucky, Oliver. I would say there are a lot, lot of opportunities we look at that we don't, we don't take up. So we're, so we're quite cautious and our board of directors will make it, you know, when we make a decision to do something, that the whole board have to be um, thumbs up or we don't do it. And there've been a lot of things that I brought to the board where I said, look, this would be wonderful. And they've all gone, no. <laughs> <laughs> so it has to be a hundred percent. It can't just be sort of, you know, no. 60, 40. It has to be all there. No, because if you don't have the full team on board, are you going to get problems? Yes. So despite my entrepreneurial nature, my, my board of directors keep me, keep me with my feet on the ground. You're quite good at being told no then, because a lot of entrepreneurs tend not to always listen to the people that say no to them and, and somewhat crack on anyway. When did you learn that actually people saying no is a good thing? My FD. Your FD, classic. My, my FD. Classic. He just said, look, it's really simple. Either you, you do what I tell you or you get a new FD. <laughs> and I'm going, oh, really? And he went, yep, this was 20 years ago. So... And I said, well, I really want to do this. And he went, no, you, you, you won't be able to afford it, Corey. You'll overextend the business and bring it down. And we didn't do it. And lo and behold, that's exactly in 2001 when the foot and mouth came to the UK and closed, closed the market. And if I had done what I wanted to do, um, we'd have gone bust. Wow. And we didn't. So we live, live for another day. So we're a little bit more cautious now, a little bit less entrepreneurial, but it's going well. We're a small business, Oliver. We're not like a, a Jeff Bezos or whoever. Well, you've got 400 staff, so I think you're you're certainly right. <laughs> you're doing medium well sized business. Me, let's go with medium. Like medium. It does. The pandemic's only just happened. We've just come out the back end of that, Corey. What did you learn in 2001 that you put in place during, I suppose, 2019 slash 2020 in terms of battening the hatches? We reacted immediately to it. In fact, we hired an extra 10 digital people in the first month of the pandemic because as every store closed, uh, we realized that unless we had a route to market on the internet, we, we wouldn't have a business. That's really smart. So you're investing heavily whilst others were pulling out of, of, of a lot of marketing, actually. Yeah, we, uh, we doubled down and went for it. And you must have absolutely sort of, I suppose, kind of made the right decision there because everybody decided to go outside. Everyone decided to go walking, look after themselves, health, fitness, be that, you know, uh, walking around mountains or, or frankly, just doing outdoor sports. Now, did you see a huge uplift in revenue? No. It, what happened is that we replaced our shop business because they were all closed. Uh, we're then consumers wanting to buy 
uh, online. And did that make greater margins because you weren't necessarily having to sell it wholesale and you could sell it at retail? Yeah, our turnover halved and our margin went up. I mean, that is... It's quite unheard of, but it's bonkers, like right? It. It's it is crazy. We couldn't have crazy. predicted that, but we, um, but we thought something like that might happen, and and it did. And then, as as all the retailers reopened, all their online businesses boomed as well. So yeah, so they're they're all with us, which is fantastic because they're the reason we're here in the first place. But the the online pieces has saved all of our retail partners. I mean, it's an outstanding story that you managed to survive it so positively. And in terms of what you put down the success to, and you can't just say your finance director here because it's entirely down to you in the early days. What do you put down to your success? I, th- I think we're very predictable as a as a business, and if we commit to doing something, we'll do it. And if that disadvantages us us to some degree, we'll carry on and still do it. And I think that makes you trustworthy as a as a brand and as a business. And people want predictability because it's such an unpredictable world. And if they know they can rely on us and we'll do what it takes to you know, to get it right and to do the right thing and to keep innovating. We we didn't get rid of any of our team when the when the music stopped and we've reinvested. And luckily that looks like the smart move, but who knows, right? There's still a long way to go in this story. <laughs> I'm sure you guys will be absolutely fine over the next couple of months and couple of years but the nights are drawing and it's getting a little bit cold getting a little bit wet where can we go to buy any of the products that Bradshaw Taylor have on the market into our retailers around the UK and in Europe and also online if you don't want to step out of your door (laughs) online is the future Corey absolute pleasure speaking to you and thank you so much thanks Oliver thanks for listening coming up next week if you go to a VC or investor, typically it's, it's predominantly male. I really enjoy it when I when I see VCs that are that have been created to back female entrepreneurs specifically, and I think we need more of that because I mean the stats speak for themselves. Only one percent of investment goes to female founded businesses, and that that needs to change. Thank you so much to our headline sponsors for the year, Capsule Cover. Capsule Cover, a specialist insurance partner to growth businesses, supports some of the UK's most innovative and ambitious companies. Sponsoring each and every one of our podcasts, we're on a journey with Capsule, and so should you be. If you're a scale-up or an ambitious, high-growth business, check out how Capsule Cover can help you with bespoke insurance solutions. Inquire via CapsuleCover.com and quote Success22. See you next week, 8am on all podcast platforms. Simply subscribe or ask your smart speaker to play Success is in the Mind podcast. This is a Pinpoint Media podcast presented by me, Oliver Bruce, produced by Dan Miller and Fergus Bruce, edited and designed by Harry Fox and Victoria Bramwell, filmed by Madeline Harris, marketed by Ellie Hanwell and Rachel Buchanan-Hughes and managed by Bethan White and Annabelle Norton-Smith. Quite a team. Thanks, guys. If you know anyone you think we should interview, if you want to tell your story or have your say, please reach out to me directly via podcast at pinpoint-media.co.uk. Remember, there's never a good time to start a business, but in business, you should always have a good time. Cheers, guys. 